Well, hello, Coyote Vagina. How are you? <laughs> hello, Raging Boner that won't go down. I am well. How are you? That is the. Uh, that's not the only takeaway I have from. Those are the d- direct translations, and they are amazing. I wish English names were that cool as Native Native American names can be. I have to admit, I was thinking the exact same thing. And just to give some context of what we're talking about. Uh, we both just read The Empire of the Sun and Moon by, the author's name escapes me... C.S. Oh, what is it? Let me look it up. It's a very interesting book. It's about the rise, and I guess the fall, if you want to call it the fall, of the Comanche Empire that existed in the United States in the uh, 1800s. And, yeah, they did not have the Hollywood safe... Indian names that like we're used to, like Sitting Bull or uh, um, what would be another? What's a good Crazy one? Horse? Crazy Horse is a popular one, even though he's yeah he's mentioned in the book. Um, I thought his I thought what the author had to say about Crazy Horse was really poignant, actually, in terms of like how we view heroes of history. Empire of the Summer Summer Moon is the name of the book, and it is by S C. Gawain, G-W-Y. Yeah, I saw, not only did I forget the author's name, I got the title of the book wrong, so thank you, Zach. It's all right, fact checker, right here. It's a a slow check, but it's a check. (laughs) Hey, man, I'll take the slow check, gives people a chance to relight. But there's a lot of things that we can talk about when it comes to this book. I think what I want to start with uh, is by asking you, what was your favorite part of the book? It's a pretty simple question, but you know, like... um, I guess my favorite segments of the books were when they discussed the brutality of both the Native Americans and of the, the white settlers. But what I found strange in that is that the white people were so abhorred and like uh, like appalled and like shocked and like, oh my goodness, about all the like the scalps, which is pretty bu- brutal. Like as a kid, I never really thought about how brutal it is. But and when they go into to detail about how it was done and then the roasting to, to preserve the scalps. I'm like, oh, that is pretty brutal. And, oh, I guess that would be kind of scary to see some lady with, like, who's still alive with a skull literally poking out of her head, like, no skin, no hair. Like, that, That I guess I, that would be kind of horrifying. But to me, this is war, right? They're going through war. And not only is it just regular war, it is life and death for the the homeland and the people of the Comanches and other Native American tribes. So to me, it's like, okay, you're invading someone's house. And all right, so maybe you have some kind of uh, mentality of what is fair warfare, right? But if someone breaks those rules, to my head, it's like, okay, so you amped it up. Now I'm going to amp up on your amp up. Like, I'm going to go sevenfold. Exactly. Like, that's always how I play any game. If someone, I'm going to play by the rules, right? Like, I'm going to play fair. We're going to be good until you cross that line. You cross that line, dude, I'm going what you did and then above. And I'm going <laughs> to, you're going to regret it. And do, do you feel that that's what the command sheet, like, because they're, my favorite part is their their origin, how they started. That's just unbelievable to me in the time frame, basically like less than 100 years, how yeah. quickly their empire formed. But do well, you believe that that, that was the, the – the, I know it's – okay, so I know it's sort of like described that way in the book. But do you believe that the that the cause of their empire coming into existence is reactionary? Do you think it was because of what was done to them by the Spanish – 
um, in like yeah, New Mexico. There, there's area. no way that the Comanches, in my from what I've learned in this book at least, there's no way that they would have had such a rise in their in their empire in their in their field because it was all because of the horse. If the Spanish never came over bringing the horses and some getting loose, the horses wouldn't be there. And if it wasn't for the white settlers, they wouldn't have even been able to learn about horses because that's where they learned about horses initially right. was people working on ranches and stuff like that and uh, raising horses, training them, and doing uh, like cattle work on horses. Well, the Spanish kept so, uh, Indian slaves. They kept uh, Nimanu slaves and other types of like you know, Navajo and all kinds of mm-hmm. other Indians in the in the Southwest as slaves, and they taught them, like you said, right? How to how to how to care for the horses and how to and how to they, except the husbandry. I guess they had to learn that later. But yeah. But the thing is that's uh, that's fascinating is that they they did that and then they went above and beyond. Yeah. Like like it is crazy how much like because they were mounted warriors, right? The Comanche. Now we also had a cavalry, but our cavalry would ride to battle, dismount, and then sh- take aim and fire. Mm-hmm. Like that, that wasn't working. Well, that's how they fought. The, the, that's how the Indians fought. No, no, no. That's how the white settlers fought. They would dismount. No, in the in the beginning, oh, a lot of the warfare with yes, the Indians, yes. they would because they would fight on foot, so they would ride the horses to the battle yeah. and then jump off. Of and them. there was other nations at that same time that were still doing that. It yeah. wasn't just it, the, the Comanches were the only ones that really took hold of that that horsepower, if yeah, you will. It definitely was a horsepower, yeah. And and it, that's it. what made them be able to hunt down buffalo and pretty much that was what they survived off of. Every, their entire life, their their main export import, or, and and trade was within uh the buffalo. So in the later in the book once the buffalo are pretty much all gone, mm the the Comanche nation then pretty much has no chance left to to exist the way it did I, I you know it, it's funny you mentioned that part because when I was uh, reading that part or listening to it I guess at that point I was listening um, to an audiobook but it, what stood out in my mind or what was or rather I should say what I was thinking about is how much of that was intentional from the United States point of view as sort of like an attack on resource because I mean obviously we were over hunting the buffalo and by we I mean I say the American culture you know I, you know, my my ancestors came the settlers, around, mostly, the settlers. Yeah. but um, we were also the white people were also over hunting the buffalo. But I wonder how much of that was encouraged by our by the government at the time to destroy the resource, the main resource of the different tribes, especially of the southwest and, and the and the upper north. I guess you would say of the country. I mean, that would be too. a really good tactic, don't you think? I mean, yeah. politically at least. Because I don't know if that's clever hindsight or if that. Yeah, I don't really know if it place. was purposely done because it doesn't say in the book that it was. It kind of just says that um, it, it was just a fact. Uh, 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 what do you call that? A consequence of of pushing forward into the frontier land and clearing off, um, sectioning off land for your cattle, because then you can't really have the Buffalo can't take their normal paths. Right. So they're not, they're not getting through their resources that they use. Right. And so it's just like a, a downfall for them. Yeah. It was like a domino effect. You yeah. Know? It all kind of came crashing to a halt much in the same way, I guess that the Comanche empire started up and that th- their beginning is is really out of everything. It's all fascinating. I recommend this book to absolutely anyone to read because it's an absolutely fascinating story. But it's their beginning that is just so. It's almost unbelievable to me. I mean that they they because they originally are from the Nimanu people, if I'm saying that correctly, and the Nimanu were a northern tribe that were like the simplest of the simplest 
like um, Indian tribes in America. Mm-hmm. And but that doesn't mean they were necessarily peaceful. That just means they were not at all. Yeah, it, I mean they they didn't they didn't have agriculture, so they didn't farm. Yeah. Um, their you know their their way of catching buffalo was ancient and barbaric, even mm. by other tribe standards. So I mean they were really far behind. They had like no well, they, real artistry they, or pottery making. Right. I mean they had all like really simple. They're almost cavemen. I mean the way they described. Uh, and and I just found that fascinating. To me, in my mind, the way it was described in the book, it made me think that part of the reason that they were that it was so not easy but so attractive for them to change is because they were like a blank slate. They had nothing. They had no traditions. That's I. That's how I took that as meaning is that they had no strong t- traditions. Like say the Sioux Indians, for example, who had very at that same time as the Nimenu had very strong. Mm. You know, right. tribal okay, traditions, okay, okay. right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So because of that, they were like a blank slate. They were ready to like adopt anything and just run away with it. See, now in the book, it does say that they don't have any songs or art or anything like that. Yeah. But it's like, how do how do you know that? Because like, well, to to me that 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 is, that is so like it doesn't make sense because any people, all people have songs. Like you can't go to any culture that doesn't have some kind of singing or music or anything or any kind of artistry all cultures even you look at you talk about cavemen right like that's almost like they were like even cavemen have paintings like neanderthals had paintings so there's no way that these people did not have some kind of culture they had a culture yeah i don't know it's possible that uh, I do feel even that was exaggerated, perhaps just yeah. to make the point stronger than you know, more I, of a stark I, I think comparison. that there's no uh, evidence, lasting evidence. There's no archaeology maybe, things maybe that not, you can find. Yeah. Not only because I mean their their empire sprawls across the entirety of the United States, pretty much, right? And then uh, not only that, but a lot of it could be organically based, right? Some things that are easily broken and deteriorate. True. So and then, and then anything and that's uh, word of mouth. It, like any kind of oral tellings, which I mean, that's all a lot of it was, and even um, in the more modern, even in the nineteen, like early nineteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds, a lot of this was still orally oral traditions. So that stuff does can go away if you start killing the people that have the knowledge, you, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that they were uncultured, an uncultured people. They had to have had a culture because they have religion. You you, you look at the. Who who was it? The Parker girl that um came who was rescued? Uh, they say uh, not Nancy, right? Nancy was the the I think she was the aunt. R- yeah, I'm not sure. And then you're I'm about horrible the, you're, names. You're it's about the, the one the that, younger one that the, became was like the a, mother of right of um uh oh, the, what the greatest is his Comanche name? Yeah, war the, chief ever. Yeah, the last yeah. and the last and the last. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the Napoleon of. Uh, I'm dragging it out because I can't remember his name either. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a problem with a book it's, it's, like this. There's so many facts. And just so many names, into. too, like Jack Hayes. But anyways, with the Parker girl, um, she her experience was when she was nine, she was, she was taken by the Comanches. She lived with them. She had a very troubled childhood because she was pretty much a slave, but she was also like um, part of a family and everything. So she was just, you know, you know she got the, the crap end of the stick, if you will. Um but she she grew up to be like a well respected person in the tribe, and she married the chief. She had she was one of uh, several other wives as well. But she her she had children and everything with them, um, or with him I should say, and then um, she gets rescued quote unquote by the the white people by white settlers, and she gets returned to her family. But she wants nothing to do with it because that's to her this isn't her life anymore because. She grew well, she, up she as a Comanche. A child, yeah. She she grew up so much as a Comanche that she was uh, her job in the in the in the 
in the tribe was tanning and um, like slaughter pretty much of the buffalo skins and things like that. So she would have she'd be caked in grease all the time, animal fat, and then she'd also be uh, have like dyes on her from the tanning process. And um, her hair was was changed and her colored from it, and so was her skin until she got really cleaned off. All they saw was like uh, an Indian with blue eyes, and they're like, "That's weird." And then they cleaned her off and noticed it was, it was um, um, a white girl. And the, th- the thing is, uh, though, going back to them having a culture is because they have a very strong religious tradition spiritually. Um, they believe that it seems very animist. I don't know. Um, necessarily because they don't go into great detail of what their religions uh, or their, or their view on it really was. But what we got out of in the book, at least what I did was that uh, her, she would, she believed that everything pretty much had a spirit and she was communing with the world and she would still practice those things. So there's no way that this wasn't a lasting tradition, especially when it's an animist uh, culture, which is like where everything pretty much has a spirit. Like that's a very, that's a very older style of religion, you know? Well, it almost isn't a religion. It's really more just like, a, I know a religion is a belief system, but it really is just sort of a belief system. Because I think that was a comparison the author was m- making often several times, in fact. I thought he did a pretty good job about it in that, you know, the the tribes didn't have a religion the way we recognize, the way white settlers recognize religion, like a hierarchy, a source of all you know, of, of all power in the universe and being. They don't have that. They don't have, like, an all-father. Even though um, later accounts, the author mentioned, like, you know, later accounts of other, like, older Indians who in, later in life learned English, like Crazy Horse, for example, they would, they, would, they would start to use, like, that kind of phrasing to describe their spiritual beliefs. But even he said that the those that interviewed him or that studied any of the tribes were always very skeptical about that because they knew they were just sort of playing the part. They didn't really believe what they were saying when it came to that. And it certainly didn't show, according to the author, um, in the study of the of the different tribes, especially the Comanche, which, of course, the book is mainly about, that they had any real hierarchy or system for explaining things and how they were. Everything just is as it was and has been or, and is and will be in other words so what i found interesting about that was that it was very grounded in the moment right it's sort of very much like um it's sort of meditative in a way it's sort of very like uh what would you call it existential not existential um uh what's the word i'm looking for that uh, brings you into the moment like spiritually and emotionally and mentally but that's what I that's what I found was interesting about what you what we would call their religion is that it just it always brought them back to the moment. Whereas, like for example, I was raised uh, Orthodox Christian, and this is true probably mm. of any Christian denomination, where you're sort of always thinking about. I mean, first of all, you know, you're born in sin, and you're you're you expect to be you know accused and persecuted persecuted per, persecuted for your beliefs, right? So right away you're, you 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 want to you want to act like an like a like a pariah, right? Like a victim. And then, and then while that's happening, because that happened before you were born. So right away, you're thinking about the past. Now you've got to focus on what's going to happen to you when you die based on what you do in life. So the only time you really spend any time, the only moments you spend thinking about, you know, what's happening right now is whether or not it's going to be cashed out for you in the end when God judges you. And the Indians didn't have that. Right. That's yeah. That was no, that's it's a really um, 
interesting point to make because I never really thought about that as as, as a factor of w- where is your mind when you think like uh, temporally, I yeah. guess, when you're um, thinking about your religion or practicing your religion. But yeah, I'm trying to think of a, a religious practice for Christians that puts you in the moment. I was like, okay, maybe Lent. Well, no, Lent's about, you know, the past, you know? Praying, and, maybe. Yeah. When you pray. I mean, but even then, yeah. you're thinking, okay. you're either, like, asking for forgiveness or asking for something. So it's either you're in the past or you're in the future, your mind. Or thinking, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess some of part of it's being thankful, you know? But, I mean, there's only just those sort of, like, brief moments where you're, even in prayer, um, where you're where you're in the present. Right. You know? But, like, on the other hand... um, for uh, the Comanches, you know, they they like women would cut like their breasts and like in their in their cells, uh, for for displays of grief, you know. So it's like that's a very in the moment thing. Yeah. Um, the, anything to do with bad medicine that they call in the book, uh, where like if the the chief gets shot down and he, that like that's bad medicine, like that's a that's a that's a it's a foreboding thing that's pretty much saying that like this is a bad idea, turn away now. So like that is very in the moment. I I, yes. I agree. You're right. That is, it's an interest. I just never thought about any religion that way. Like where where is its uh, priorities in time mm-hmm. or for its? I don't know. That's a weird way to. It's a weird sentence to try and it's just it was it's sort of, it was interesting to me because of the way it was so well described mm-hmm. and one oh another thing that i was paying attention to in this book while we're reading because a few things came up so we did an episode in the past where we went like we looked around the world for like different um what were we, i forget what we called them there's they're sort of like just you know habits that you would only see in different countries okay like, yeah, yeah, yeah. different countries so one of them like one of the ones i brought up was like indians like you know don't stand in a doorway you know, and how I've always kind of felt that way too, because like it's considered rude, right? Like mm-hmm. if you stand in the, like in the doorway of a teepee, for example, you're blocking anyone from leaving, and you're stopping anyone who might be coming. So it's like you're rude to like, you know, the the spirit <laughs> of anyone who might be yeah. there. And I like I like that, but one that was in the, this book that with the, the Comanches had, and they had so many. It sounds I would I would love a book superstition. I would love a book on just superstitions from around the world. But one of my favorites from this book was that it was considered extremely bad luck and rude to let a shadow pass over cooking food. So mm. if you were going to walk, you had to really pay attention. It seems like, you know, the floor is lava. Cause well, yeah, because <laughs> they're, they're taboos. You get your ass kicked if you yeah. break one. Like, like that. that's how bad it was, or how serious, I should say. It's, yeah. That's how serious they, they took everything. It's like if you broke any taboo, you got beat. And it was like by the entire tribe. <laughs> like yeah. there was there was nothing. And this is to your own from your own people, from your own clan, your own family and everything. So it's like that's, that's insane to like I love- have a cultural taboo like that hanging over your head i've never I just well it, it makes me think that man everybody no wonder why they seem like so well self-disciplined you know who i compare like um different tribes of american indians to is like the japanese right mm-hmm. or like lots of different asian cultures that have this ability to like super focus and creates like such strict discipline within oneself right mm-hmm. and they too have a religion that's much more like you said animus it's much more about um you know, the fact that, uh, like I've made this point before, it's not my point, it's Alan Watts' point, that, for example, in the West, you know, you are, God puts you on earth, 
right? And to me, that's like saying almost like we're an alien. Well, if you just put us here, we're not from here. But in the East, you you come out of the earth. The earth yeah. is like your mother, right? And the Indians are very much like that too. Yeah. And I thought that especially, I like that. I think especially that's in cool. a lot of their origin tales for Native Americans is either they came from like corn, <laughs> like they came from the maze, right? Or um, they came out of a, a tunnel, pretty much that opened up into the world, and it was from like a, a cave. That's and so that, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, going back to their nutrition and what they ate, do you think since when they first started as a, as a people, um, before the, the horse came, was reintroduced, um, do you think that's part of why their, their stature is much smaller than other native Americans? They're a lot lot more shorter and stout that like, not necessarily stout, but just like, like they have smaller builds. Do you think that has to do with their, with their nutrition from their beginnings and then going into um the the ad the advent of the horse they were able to maneuver on the horse so well because of their size then i mean you don't need a giant horse to go underneath him if he if you're a small guy you can use a regular size yeah and the mustang is not a it's not a big horse no it's like the size of a quarter yeah i mean it's like what 13 14 yeah like that it's very small so um Here's what I think. The, I have this theory, I guess, of about any creature on the planet, including us, right? And it's 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 goldfish. It's you know it's it's the goldfish in a tank, right? So the size of a fish in a tank is determined by mm. the size of a tank. That's why fishes in the ocean are gigantic, and at home they're tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's technically true of like mammals on land as well. And it, it the tank, let's say the walls of the tank aren't always just your habitat. They're your access to certain resources and the threats around those resources or just to your existence, right? And with the Comanches, I mean, the author was saying that they Comanche children were getting their own horse from when they were four or five years old. Yeah. So there's two things I want to say about that. One is to the point, like with the question that you just asked. Yes, I think because of that... I mean, here's here's okay because of that you had smaller people, right? Mm-hmm. That would would succeed at being greater horse riders, um, oh, and better so they're the and, ones and that survived. Horse. So they were, yeah. they, they was the ones that survived, but also the author mentioned that the fertility rate. Part of the reason yeah. they they didn't abuse at least sexually at first young female captives is because their fertility rate in the tribe was so low. Yeah, and part of that was because the women were riders as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're shaking around on, on, a, on a horse bareback, basically killing their, their unborn babies sometimes. So I think from that, too, what you're going to have, that's going to generate a certain type. It's like breeds of dogs, right? I believe that for humans, too. So that I that so to basically answer simply, yes, I do think that that is an effect. I think that all that's like a the, the cocktail, if you will, the, all the little different variables that go into the, the recipe for what... Um, life nature will you know will adapt to in creating whatever like you know the species needs to survive um kind of thing but two i think it's the other thing i wanted to add on to that is because they got their horses so young they must have had a bond unlike any other horse rider in history really in the world unless with the exception of other cultures that did exactly that because man i grew so close when i worked with horses with you just in to me it was a short time of four years right just in that time and just you know day to day like i grew very fond very close with the animals a lot of times there were moments where i thought of them as equals in the sense that 
I, I shared the same respect I have for other human life that I do now give to them, right? So the bond that these Comanche people must have had with their horses, and then my guy, because a horse lives, what, 20 years if you're lucky, so when they pass away, and they probably died much oh, sooner yeah. than that from battle, they were always in battle. No battle, and, and you don't know, imagine. riding across the, the open plains, you never know when you're going to find a snake hole, right? And right. just break and, a And that's, break and a that's that, and they were, and from that bond, it, it, I'm sure that absolutely had everything to do with why they were such amazing uh, horsemen. You know, oh yeah, because if you respect your tool, your tool's gonna work better for you. Well, it was like it was like a uh, symbiotic relationship at, oh, yeah. at, at some point, right? By the time they're like ten years old, even that the horses their their legs. In fact, I think the authors mentioned in the book he was saying when they walked on the ground, they walked funny. They, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. like oompa loompas on the ground because they're on horseback all the time. You know, yeah, so it's it's just amazing, really. Yeah, you get your your sea legs back, kind of thing, right? Absolutely. But they're, they're, it's a, such an interesting culture, and I love the, um, the author does such a great, Green does such an excellent job of not uh, excusing the barbaric behavior of, of the Comanches, but an excellent job of explaining, helping the reader understand from their point of view, at least to some degree, what it meant to be one of them right and how their morality was just so different from us and yeah I think that's an important lesson yeah know? for sure it's not that they didn't have a morality it's just yeah. their morality was different it was just they they believed um you know that that the way they fought war was the way they have always fought war it wasn't just their tribe doing it that way it was every other tribe was was also very brutal to their captives like that was part of it but it also yeah. created vengeance blood vengeance like that was yeah. also something that was accepted and was expected you know it was like okay so you treated my family poorly so i'm gonna go into your village and kill everyone like come on yeah. you know it's like like that's what i would expect you know well and, and he made such a the author made such a great point about what you're saying too he said that 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 one of the reasons the white man was so shocked by the indian like the comanche or really indian almost any indian tribe i guess uh, had the, their warriors had this willingness to die to to the to fight to the death. There was yeah. no take me or prison. There was no oh I I surrender. You know what I mean? Because in their world, they knew what would happen if they <laughs> would guess, get caught. Yeah. yeah, they didn't want to get scalped and then they lose their their you know access to the afterlife or whatever. Yeah. And, well, I mean, it was more than just scalping. It was dismembering. Oh, too, and of, torture. Uh, yeah, yeah. And oh, torture God. and and you know cutting off privates and everything dude was... if you were male and you were captured by the comanche you were basically a toy for for that that bonfire that night that's fucked up yeah. <laughs> i mean this uh, one story that was so gruesome i i i love gruesome details it's just to me that helps me understand like humanity so much better sure. like, where we come from and what just, we're capable of what, and what anyone can be capable of desperation's a hell of a drug yeah. dude i mean that is what it comes down to is like there is a primal monster let's call it in all of us but we the day the world that we live in we never touch we never access it and maybe that's a good thing i don't know but it also means that we don't know really who we are you know what i mean because there's a whole part of us that nature has designed for us to use and we never use it we're never you know we're killers we we are killers oh, every human yeah. being walking this planet is technically designed to kill mm -hmm. both in defense in vengeance and in morality and in, in in need, I guess need should yeah, be number for food one. Even. Yeah. yeah. So, the fact that we don't do that, I I in a weird way, I really think that affects us mentally. I think that's probably why we have 
to some degree, so many like mental issues because it's like a, what would you call it? It's like a subdued part of our psyche, of our, our, our being, our reality. And I'm not suggesting, of course, that, you know, we wake that up by start holding, you know, I don't know, gladiatorial arena fights. Although I would definitely watch that, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't know. It's there. You know what I mean? It's definitely there. It's in, it's inside all of us. And I think that's part of the reason I find history so fascinating is because it's almost like studying what humans really are as opposed to whatever Mm -hmm. the hell we are now. I will say I've never had a greater connection with food than when I've, I've grown it myself and killed it myself. Yeah. You know? I've killed chickens before and ate them and plucked them and did everything. Yeah. So, like, <clears throat> having a connection with that and a respect for it, too. It's not just, like, some cog in the machine. Like, this mm. is this was a life. This was something that was, you know, up and around clucking two minutes ago, and now it's in my pot. You know, it, it gives you, like, a an understanding of sacrifice. Because, you know, with with cattle, with chickens, they're not just meat. Right, they're also source for labor. Like you could use ox to pull yeah. a cart to plow. Um, you can also drink the milk. You can eat the eggs. Like they're so like you're sacrificing those aspects of it. This tool, this useful thing that you can that you can use to eat it once. Like it's a one and done thing. So it's like it it helps you to understand the the importance of different aspects and respect for those as well. Yeah, it's profound. It really is, and it, it's a it's a lesson of of life and death, you know. Um, again, a point of that is made in the book where it talks about um, why some of these plains people, especially the white settlers going west, um, seem to handle trauma better than like you know the people of the east coast, the bourgeois settlers, <laughs> if you will, at the time. That's because they you know they they were farmers, yeah, and they were on dangerous trails and they well, they're in the thick of the, yeah, the danger. So, that you, they learned as children what life and death, you know, the, the mm-hmm. meaning of life and death, in, in the sense of, you know, well, how easy it ends. There was, uh, I don't know if you want to call them a troop or a posse, there was, there was a group of, of white settlers that were part of the government, and they were going around fighting Indians, right? Yeah. It wasn't Jack's Hayes groups, it was the it was one after that, the one that became just as brutal as the Indians, yeah. right? So there was a big backlash from other white settlers, and especially from the East, um, people from the the the, the West, they were like kind of not necessarily okay with it, but they were had a bigger understanding and like this is what's happening, this yeah. is what's necessary. Welcome and to it, Earth. Yeah, right. Pretty much. It's so it's like like we need to fight just as dirty and just as hard. Otherwise, yeah. we're just going to keep getting slaughtered and and our land's going to keep being taken that we took. But you know, <laughs> so it's like it, it is life and death for both parties. I mean, I, I don't. It's hard to say. Like. Really, who's in the right, you know, of that kind of uh, no, conflict? Yeah, that's I think a good it's, it's like because both people ha- are just trying to live. Exactly. That's really all they want. They want to live the way that they have always lived. That's why I actually think it, it's it's kind of shitty, in my opinion, for us to like look back at history and then say sorry. For really two main reasons. One, we weren't there. So to blame yeah, us. I, I, for I, I have really no authority stupid. to say sorry. Yeah. First of all, but like, secondly, I, can't, I can't take on those sins and ask to be well, forgiven. And that is, and that is <laughs> so rude in its own right. Right. Yeah. And like to say, like, even if somebody wanted to do that, it's like, you're kind of a huge piece of shit, in my opinion. If you want to, like, take on the sins of the, of your ancestors, let's say, 
and then and then apologize to those who now can now also not do anything about it yeah. as well because they're conquered if you want to look at it that way but it's like like you said i agree with it that that's the rule of nature it's like the strong eat the weak i mean that's just the way it is and it's the way that's the way it is with man too i mean we could i think we could argue that you know the first human settlers of any region or continent stole the land from the animals that live there or whatever yeah. you know what i mean like who, who, there's always you can always paint a victim is i guess the point mm-hmm. and something has to be said about um man's desire to conquer over other man you know human over human i think that's uh that's another thing that's a part of our nature that that we think is ugly and we don't like to acknowledge it not individually we acknowledge it on like a global scale right like when we see a war happening somewhere in the world especially from america because wars never happen in america anymore really yeah so we every war we hear about is someplace else it's almost like Mm -hmm. a movie for us right we don't really give a shit (laughs) and so we we accept the fact that oh well yeah well that's what humans do you know in a weird kind of like you know what I'm saying? Off, fuck, oh, off it's the like, oh, there, there, there well, it goes again. There it goes again, yeah, like yeah. a storm, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, it, for sure. That is that is a yeah. great way to uh, analogize that is that we view in America wars, for the most part, as like a storm. It's like weather. Is, yeah, yeah. It's just like I have no control over it. And it hap- it's something that happens to you. And it's like. Yeah. And we and we and we, we have great empathy or we yeah. at least attempt to, I guess, portray we do. But um. <laughs> But at the same time, it's like even though we accept that is a human thing at that scale, we don't accept it individually. It seems like because even I feel like I struggle right. with that. Right? I never admit that I'm a conqueror or that I want to take something. Right? I have to always be coy or even never mention it at all. And if I go after anything in my life, I have to. I feel like I have to do it in such a way as to look as though I wasn't aggressive or that I wasn't. Yeah, you have to justify that it. I wasn't uh, violent about. It. Yeah, I have to justify my every action, and that that's imposed upon us. I think that's why we bristle at that, and then we claim morality is that is to is to do that that it, that we are better by subduing that and judging it as evil, as opposed to trying to understand it better and just accepting it really, because that is the world we live in. You know what I mean? We can we can pretend mm. all we want, but that's what humans do. They conquer. We conquer things. You know? Oh, for sure. I do, I use that term conquer all the time, and not even in like a the the traditional sense. I usually mean like to win, to beat, to succeed in something. It's like I conquered that. Like that that was a challenge, and I conquered the yeah. challenge. It's like like, and I I don't know. I lo- I really like the word conquer too. Maybe just because it starts with a hard consonant, you know. Oh, any word that has yeah. to deal with violence is fun. Yeah. Name one that you don't like. You know what I mean? But it's like I I like I like using that word. It's like um like even like when I'm training uh with working with a horse, right? And I and I and I uh, got him to finally do something. It's like I conquered him. Mm-hmm. I conquered this horse, and right. I was able to get him to do what I needed him to do. And like, and I, I don't know. I think it's a it's a positive thing. I think conquering can be a very positive force. It doesn't have to be have all these negative connotations that others like to impose onto it. But well, I think it comes with a negative and a positive. Yeah, regardless. Right. You know, that's what I mean by accept. You just have to accept it. Marco, there's a higher time that I was reading this book. You kept popping in my head. Oh, thank you. So, I would like to ask you, which would you rather be the American settler or uh, a Comanche warrior? It's a, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't admit that I thought about that often while I read this book. 
And um, I even had some dark fantasies about it in, in, while I was reading because, you know, this woke up things, thoughts I didn't really have or didn't pay attention to before, right? And so there are things about the Comanches that are highly, highly attractive to me. Um, and I don't know why that is, but I think it's because they're they're just so primal. And they, there's a part of me, I think I've told you this before, that I really feel this is actually a part of most of us, I would, I would say, especially men, that we want to serve something greater than ourselves, a power that can teach, that can lead. You know what I mean? Whatever it may be. Sometimes we want to be that power, but really what that all that means is you want to be the greatest servant of that power because you're never really in charge of anything, right? You're sort of just reigning whatever it is that you have control over mm. it, of the moment. So, but it it ultimately rules you. Anyway, that's kind of like an existential argument, but this that isn't kind of I think like an existential question which you asked. At the same time, um the settlers, you know, the, they forged what they they forged the land. They they made the template, however bloodied or dirty that it is, that would become the framework for uh, United States of America, which is I mean, it has to be the greatest country on the planet. I know I'm very biased. I've never, really, <laughs> never lived in another country. I've only ever been here. But I'm sure there's wonderful places. But America from other countries, it's got to be doing honestly, something, right? dude. Yeah, there's there's a reason the world wants to come here, and it's not just to exploit. Although that is a part of that forging, that like that conquering, like we were talking about earlier. Um, I'm really kind of 50-50 on it. They're, they're, really? I am. I'm, I I think I could go either way. And I would... Here's how I, I was thinking about it, too. Like, if I had the choice, I would... And I, I had to be, like, born again, I would go Comanche. Just because I would want to know what that complete other side of the coin of existence as a human would be like. And if you were born as a settler, would you try and uh, assimilate into a, a Comanche tribe or another... That's the other, yes, the other thing I was going to say was about that. Like, okay. I think that would be terrible, although it would be interesting to be well-honored. You know, it's almost like a white guy in a black gang or something. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, like, wow, what did he do to gain them respect? You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, there, there is that kind of fantasy of the honor that comes along with that, that, that camaraderie. Because, I mean, deep down, I love that. I don't know about you, but, um, and you tell me what you think about your own question, but I, I love brotherhood. I love that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when we were in the locker room together, like, and we worked together, like that was, that was like, like, I don't know. I've never been in the military, but that's what it felt like. We were, you know, we were blooded. We're like together. A lot of, a lot of sports cultures call that a tribe. Yeah. We had our own tribe. When you're part of a team, when you're part of like a a unit, you know, even in like the military, people call that a tribe. You found your tribe. Yeah. That was my tribe, man. And I, and, uh. When you're away from your tribe, it's almost it's all it feels like a death. Yeah, it feels no, like you, it, you, I mourn definitely. it. I mourn it the same way I mourn like people that are are no longer in my life. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, no, it's it definitely it felt like part of me died, and it also felt like I the connection I had with these people, and then in that fact, they died as well. Yeah, it's like it's like this weird pseudo death that you kind of experience for yourself and for, for others. As well, yeah. and I think that was the most, to me, the most attractive thing about, like, in this case, the Comanche, but really any Indian tribe, because I really love the Sioux. That's another. Mm. One. I would love to talk about the Sioux sometime. Um, is the fact that their bonds are built like a family, like a tribe. Yeah. And one thing I don't like about um, the settlers, and, and really, I guess, America in general, is that it's just so 
corporate, right? I mean, the way we the way we work together, the way we move together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we have. There's you know, I've worked in places where I, I felt like I had family, like just what the example I gave, but that happened. That had to struggle to happen. It wasn't sort of encouraged or happened or made to happen, uh, you know, naturally, right? It, it's like everything is so corporate, like everything's all in line. There's a system, there's always a hierarchy of power with like Western culture and Western thinking and Western traditions. And I've never liked right, that. Right. It's very tiered. It's very tiered. And I've never, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel, it's, it's, it's portrayed as though it's done on, as though merit is at the base. Yeah. Right? But it's, yeah, that's right? not how it works. I, yeah. Then that's what you're told too. Yeah, you're told then, that yeah. if you do a good job and you, you work hard, you'll make it, you'll be up there. Right. No, that's man, that's, ha- that's maybe, I, that's I'm going to say 30, I'm going to say 30% of it is hard <laughs> that's work. Giving. <laughs> that's giving. I still believe in my core values. Okay, uh, Marco. <laughs> okay, okay. You'll die. Don't worry. Your heart will die. <laughs> it's coming. Um, but yeah, when I, the reason I say it kept, kept popping in my head was, was used because like every time they talk about the Comanches and their way of life, I'm like, they talk about horse riding ship and like how the connection with the horse and everything with that and how they were the greatest, um, their connection with the land, uh, being able to look at birds and seeing which, if they were going to food or to water away from water, mm-hmm. um, being able to, to, uh, the, the rich culture that is there and traditions and taboos, all that stuff just screamed with Marco to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, this, this is what Marco's looking for. Yeah. Like <laughs> Marco's looking for this, like detached from all technology. Yes. <laughs> And and living with a group of people that are uh, is a brotherhood and is a is is a family unit kind of thing. I like got that. goosebumps listening I, I, you explain it every time they would talk about. It, I'm just like, this is Marco's life. This is, he was born in the wrong time. He was he was supposed, I was, to, he was yeah. supposed to die at 35 in a great war. <laughs> I, I really that my spirit is that you described me exactly like that is that is how I wish I lived and and that's why I am attracted. So that's why I said 50 50. And even though it was a harder way of living, yes. I feel like you would have you your spirit your life you would have enjoyed that more than a american settler um because for but for me i kept thinking about it was like yeah it's cool but like they got like pots and pans and they got you know fucking uh stove you know it's like i can't why would i give that up why would i why would i (laughs) why would i give up all these nice amenities and like guaranteed food and water and then I was, and then I was like, "There's no way I would go from. I would, I would rather be way, born yeah. as a Comanche or go from uh, a settler to a Comanche. There's, there's no way I'd want to do that. And if anything, if that happened to me as as a, as a child, say it like my my ranch or farm or whatever, my homestead was raided, I would I would become very vengeful. Yeah. If anything, I'd become one of those 24 year olds working for Jack Hayes and, and just destroying every chance I had." Like that, I would I would probably be a miserable human being. Yeah. <laughs> but I would that that's what I would rather choose though. For, I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because like the 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 life of of comfort sounds better, more appealing to me than living on the the plains and like you know being exposed to the elements twenty four seven and having a harder life and everything. Like to me, that just doesn't sound as appealing. <laughs> But I mean, either one looks like it would suck, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> without a doubt. I mean, we live on clouds. I like to say, you know, in, in our modern times. Uh, but it, you know, in some ways, I think our times are as rough, if not rougher, because they're 
that struggle, we, we struggle with our minds these days so much. I feel like ancient man or, you know, like even just this, you know, when we're talking about history from 200 years, 250 years ago, they struggled with their environment, like you said, and, and, the, and the reality of the things, the responsibilities that, that they had to worry about to stay alive. We don't struggle with that in the same way, but we struggle with so much going on in our heads. Like, it never shuts off. It's like when I told you, um, you know, it was a de- it was like detoxing, man. It was like like coming down from being like an addict. When I left my phone alone and I left all the technology I had on me for my vacation, one of my trips to Arizona, and I went hiking without anything. Yeah, you know, no, no no lifeline. I just took I just took my backpack and some water. And man, it was just so it took a, it took hours for that to happen, but really it's a short period of time if you think about it. And it just felt amazing to be separated from all that noise that was in my head. And it was noise generated in the most obscure way. It wasn't like things were constantly asking me questions directly. So my phone wasn't always ringing or the TV wasn't always on or screen wasn't always on in my face. But I was always thinking about them. I was always generating, mm-hmm. you know, thoughts and scenarios and events about what could be done with the access I have to all these different things. And then com- it was almost like commercials for things were writing their own script in my brain. <laughs> and it, that drove me nuts. I mean, that's a main, one of the main reasons I stopped watching TV 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. Was because I hated that. I had because I have a musical brain. I have an art, oh, artistic yeah. brain. So you know, commercial jingles and shit like that. They they don't like they don't they don't visit my brain when they're happening. They stay. They they move in. You know, like that. I'm that shit's in my head. And forever. they're doing a good job. Then that's their goal. They that's oh, what they want. I hate it. That I hate that to this day. Bristled that man. Marco is not loving it. No. <laughs> oh, don't don't you fucking dare start with that shit. I had a friend. You just woke. You just hey, triggered me. It's all right. You can have it your way. Oh, just you like motherfucker, dude. There used to be, I used to just walk out of the room when my friend did that to me. You bastard. <laughs> I've gotten soft. <laughs> yeah. gotten soft. I used to walk away. Now I just sit here and take it. Now I just take it like a pussy. But, no, I um, think that's that's harder. It's harder to stay there and, and, and absorb the hurt and oh, the pain. Thank you, Master Splinter. Hey, I think so. I think it is. It's a lot easier to. It's a lot harder to be the a better man than it is to be a reactionary man. Oh, I sometimes I wonder what that even means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is better? I just think that it's you should you should take a moment, take a breath before you act react on anything. Was there any part of this book that? And maybe there were many times, but can you can you give an example of a moment or a story or uh, an analogy formed that was significant to you that you think you'll carry with you now forever for the rest of your life? Like, you know, enlighten you in such a way that you won't forget it. Well, I would say one of the things that that astounded me the most was was Jack Hayes. This guy, he, he was 24 and a leader of... I don't know, like a hundred men or something like that. It was a lot. And he, the way he treated his people, how he took, how he was the one that was always, that was able to make more people survive in an incursion than any other general or any other uh, leader of any force of men. Cause he wasn't a general cause it's the, it was the Texas uh, Rangers that mm-hmm. he was the head of, right. And that he was in charge of. And uh, just every, every, just learning about him and the way he acted, it was like that, that is a good man. Like that is that is a proper 
man. And I was just because how willing he was to work and do hard things and his ability to care for those under his charge. I was just like that. That is something that was inspiring to me. Yeah, that's that's I would say that's a great example of um, to say something good of like Western tradition and culture in the settlers is that um, because of our morality being so different or how should I say it? I'll put it like this. But because our morality is different, that we we did generate people like Hayes that, mm-hmm. um, you know, always worried for others. And not to say the Indians didn't have that, but they didn't have the same structure of leadership that we that we did. Now, I would say our leadership probably fails a little more than theirs, but ours can just can, I think, generate stronger leaders. And I have to say, I, I think that may be part of the formula as well for the great Comanche uh, leader, whose name we can't seem to recall is right it, now. It it's starts like, with a P, or it's a Panahu. It's like or Pehu or something. It's something like it's a short, simple name. It's so terrible. Yeah, it's like it's like two or three syllables, it. but they're real quick. Yeah, you're gonna have to Google great Comanche leader because I'm gonna feel absolutely terrible if we just leave people hanging and they'll look it up themselves. Great podcast. <laughs> so informative. But I I really think that was. That was a great way. Again, the book did an excellent job of really walking down the middle when it came to the politics and the morality of both players in the story. Quana. Quana. Quana Parker. That's his name. Quana. Yeah. And I and I think because he was a mixed blood, he was he was um um, you know, half white or whatever. You know, yeah, his his, was, his mom right. was uh was the one that we were talking about earlier that was abducted when she was nine. Yeah, I think because she still had some remnants, let's say. This is my belief. I don't know this to be true. But she still had some remnants of what it was like to think like a Westerner because she was being raised originally that way. Yeah. And I mean, she, those are those are informative she, times yeah. of your years. So, I mean, they're, they're, any, I, anything you absorb at that time is going to stick with you. Right. And I think that's why he was such a great leader is because he had kind of the best of both worlds. He had he was he was lucky, I should say, to marry the the but the best of both worlds when it came to leadership and understanding. Yeah, and and, and it really didn't come out who his mother was until much later in his life too. Like he didn't just get this position because um, of of chief because of his his heritage. Like I'm sure they had part of it because, but he had to fight for his his chief status because there was other people trying to vie for that position, and they were trying to get other people to back him. Um, I think Quana he got the government of the United States to back him too because he was making deals with. Yeah, well, they had to treat they had to treat with this yeah. dude because the they <laughs> that's one of the most amazing parts of the story is that the Comanches got so dangerous and so big. That the United States had to talk to them and treat them like a like a nation, like mm-hmm. a like a like a like a warring up country. until the 1900s, yeah, yeah. even like yeah, which is crazy that it's like only a hundred years ago we had Comanches running around doing their thing. Well, and I thought about that too because one of the things, and this is not like a racist joke, but one of the things they they mentioned in the book is the Comanches loved absolutely loved to gamble and that they would gamble. On anything, right? Just absolutely anything. Like the English. And the and the, <laughs> and the territory. There's a lot of Indian, you know, territory now in the Southwest, and the, and and most a big chunk of it is where the Comanches existed. Okay. And what is there? Lots of casinos. I mean, a lot of casinos. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. I wonder if like that's the other thing I thought too. Is like we didn't really defeat them. We assimilated them into the right. culture. They weren't destroyed. No, exactly. You know, that's another misconception that. 
Um, now, I don't, okay, again, there were some tribes that don't exist anymore. Their bloodlines have been completely wiped out. And a lot of, because the Indian tribes were assimilated into the United States of America and this new country, their blood just got mixed. That's just inevitable. That's what America is supposed, supposed to be great about is mm -hmm. diversification. But anyway, my point is that they weren't just like completely annihilated. These, these these people are still here. They're still with us. Their bloodlines are still with us. And there's many of them. And yeah, they it's the live. same thing with like the Aztecs and the Incas. Like mm. there's, there's still people from those bloodlines walking around. Yeah. And, and there's still like thriving cultures of like the Aztecs. Like they're still like, they're still happening, which is crazy. Because like yeah. when, when you're growing up in school and you're being taught little bits of these kinds of things, you're always told how, how pretty much they were eradicated and only a few people are surviving through these uh, of these peoples on reservations. Oh, God. And Public school education is the worst when it comes to history. There's a great book. Another great book everyone should read is called Lies My Teacher Told Me. And that, I, I, that, that book pissed me off because it just basically so my my doubts were already put to rest and, you know, and they were not happy doubts. They were, you know, doubts about what what was true about, you know, learning about all kinds of things around. Uh, historical events from around the world and, and it, it's just it's mind-blowing but yeah sometimes i wonder if the real value of school comes is is learning how to interact with other people i oh, think that's, that's i think really that's not only is it great for your parents because they don't have to buy uh, you know child care you know because they don't need a babysitter if you're at school but like really what you're learning as a student is how to take on a challenge how to meet that challenge and how to interact with your fellow person you know not just students but with adults too so how how you're learning structure and hierarchy and you're learning how to operate in a world that consists of these things of challenges of other people you know so it's like maybe that's really the real value of an educate public education system is is that because i mean like you said um the the education itself is is lacking not just in history but in all other departments as well yeah. and even in college it's I don't know. My experience wasn't great. I can tell you that um, a lot of all the work that all the knowledge that I gained was mostly on my own. Mm. There was very few times where a teacher enlightened me, you know. Yeah. Um, but really what it is, is being given a challenge, r rising to the challenge and yeah. learning how to work with others or amongst others, <laughs> if not necessarily. Yeah, with no, them. dealing how to. It, <laughs> It was interesting too. Like one thing the the Comanches did as well is they, you know, education for a Comanche was like from birth. Yeah, that that's mind blowing. And I mean, to some degree, obviously that you are that's happening no matter what baby you are and what part of the world. But I just found that very interesting. Again, I, I liken them to like the, what I know at least to be true about the Japanese or like Asian cultures, where it's like right away, man, you are just you are set on like a course to understand yourself understand the world around you you know and in not and not in some like really childish way you know the way that the author described uh raising children with the comanches was that they weren't treated like children they were treated like you know small like you know small versions of warriors or small yeah. versions of why of mothers you know what i mean mm -hmm. they're not right right so there they was were no learning baby their social talk. role yeah there was right yeah away. i thought that that's that's so interesting and it's it, having never been a father myself it was always a concept or belief that i held as well because i never liked the idea that people talk to their children as though they're just complete idiots like we have a special way of talking yeah. to children and it never made sense to me because first of all 
kids aren't stupid. They're really not. Don't and there's only one way to learn. One? Yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> why yeah, why learn twice? Yeah. Why learn something twice? Yeah. I never understood that. You had to learn like the bullshit soft <laughs> lie version, and then you had, and then when you got older, you had to learn the real version of whatever that concept of reality is. Right. And it it's just like, like yeah. well, why did I waste time? Oh, don't time don't with tell a? them all that. He, they're too young. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean they're too young? They can understand and you know absorb that information. It's not going to scar them. They'll be fine. Besides, you need they're to learn resilient. consequence, don't you? Yes. If you if you misunderstand something, you have to you you will figure out how you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say though, I'm very jealous of a of a, a boy Comanche. Just his life it was was easy, you know, like as far as responsibility, because they really as, as a as a young boy, they didn't have to help set up teepees, they didn't have to set up camp in any way. Yeah, they just kind of went out and played. I'm like, that's so awesome. Yeah, but kid. who becomes the warrior? Who puts his life on the hey, line to get food? And that's better than to better fight than the enemies. Better than women's work, you know. That's not easy. No, I don't. I don't agree. I don't think. I don't think either one is like easy. But I wouldn't say that being a male in a Comanche tribe is easy. As I mean, a boy. There's more as praise. A young, as a young boy, you they know, like, ten, like a 10-year-old boy, that's like the cutoff. <laughs> oh like that, that's that's where that's where the sweet spot is, you know, is from, from zero to 10. As a, as a young Comanche boy, you don't have no responsibility. You're just doing whatever. It's so good. Just getting into fist fights on the prairie. Do you, uh, <laughs> what do you think about like their delicacies? Like the, what, because they love the buffalo so much that they, they did things that, you know, probably make like, you know, billy goat, puke but uh like you know like for example they would kill like uh, here's a weird thing they they never ate the heart i thought that was interesting but they would eat just about everything else yeah and so like they would go eat in, the they liver would literally the take the plane. colon they yeah. would take the colon in the intestinal tract which has feces in it mm. and then they would split it and just use two fingers to clean it out and then chew on that shit like just gnaw on it like it was like a treat. It's a good snack. Yeah, dude, get you going in the morning. <laughs> well, then, it's, it's probably more for long rides. <laughs> well, that yeah. Well, that's another thing too. Like they like another another example was um, if a Comanche warrior killed an un, like an, an enemy Indian, right? He would kill its horse sometimes, and he would take out its entrails and wrap them around his neck and just kind of eat it on horseback as he went because he had to travel long distances. Yeah. Probably fed it to the horse too, for all we know. I'm sure. Ah, probably not. The horse had plenty of grass to eat. I don't know. Where I'm going with that. But that, like, oh, the one that, out of all of them, like, they're all kind of gross, but the only one that kind of made me go, oh, like, what? Was, um, um, like, okay, first of all, like, if it was a female buffalo, they would they would slice open, like, her, her teats, like her milk sacs, mm. and then they would drink the milk, let it leak out, and drink it, right? It's like, okay, okay, I, I kind of get that. But their favorite, apparently one of their favorite things to do was to drink the milk from a baby calf's stomach. Because it would have a different oh, flavor it would, it mixed with the blood. Yeah, yeah it would curdle. I was, I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's no, you know, there's no Dairy Queen. So, oh well, yeah, when I when I would hear those things, I'm like, hmm, I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> I kept going on with the rest of the book. Yeah, and sometimes I, I like, wonder if that shit, like, they just made that up to scare the white man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, our kids do that. They love it. You know? Well, what there I mean? was yeah, there was one that was like a mixture of like blood and milk too. Right? Yeah, blood. They, yeah, blood and milk were just blood. They would drink the blood directly. Because there'd be no water if they weren't yeah. near water, so they would drink the blood. I, like, I, I, I get think, that. I think blood tastes fine. It's just yeah. a little, it just tastes like iron, you know. I mean, out of all the things that they did, that was gross. I thought the bl- I, drinking the blood is something I would probably be able to do without a problem. Yeah, but who I knows? Like, if but, I was raised that way, I'd probably think that shit was dope too. For well, yeah, I, I mean, give a uh, oh a white kid sushi, they might be like, "Ew, that's gross." You give a Japanese kid sushi, like. Yes. Food. Yeah, it's like what I do right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you know it's funny too. I think about like my my grandfather, man. Like 
he would roast a lamb, right? He'd he spend all day roasting this beautiful baby lamb. The thing was so delicious, dude, right? All he had was salt, pepper, and beer. And he just, you know, you for six to eight hours, right? Then he'd come inside and after all that beautiful cooking, right? And my grandmother's got all these sides rolling and shit. He made sure he got the neck and, like, the the skull and, like, the eyeballs and, like, the ears. Like, all the parts that I never would have fought him over, like, ever. <laughs> and like, he, he was, like, adamant about it. Like, those are mine. I was just like, hey, man, they're yours. <laughs> I'll go for a rib. I think I'm good You know, I that. don't know if eyes are nutritious like other organs, but. I don't know, man. But there was I mean, a lot I, of things that were interesting it. about the technology of the Comanche that made me think about, like, my own, like, family, like, you know, ancestry. But one thing, I, like, I never knew about that I thought was interesting. Cause I know some things about like leatherworking and shit like that. Cause I like, you know, it's like a hobby of mine, let's say. And to soften the leather, Ann Parker was uh, talking, I think it was Ann Parker. She was talking about how, oh, brain um, tanning. yeah, about tanning. Yeah. But how they brain tanning that to make the, to make the, the, to make the, uh, the, the skin, the leather so soft and supple. Mm-hmm. That they would just and it also, it helps spend... with the, the heat and the cold. It does like the opposite as well. Like yeah, when it's, that's... when it's hot out, it, it, it helps to, I don't know. It, I don't know if it makes it more breathable or what, but when it's cold out, it also like, it, it keeps you warm. That's profound to me. It's like, um, and it wasn't like, a, it's not like a quick process. Like you have to do it for like a yeah. long time over and there's, over and over and over again. Like, so like, who discovered that? There's three ways of tanning, and I forget what they all are. There's the brain tanning, there's veg tanning, and then there's another one. I forget what that one is. Brain tanning. I feel like anytime I felt really, 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 really soft, like buffalo skin in my mm-hmm. life, it had to have been brain tan because that shit, you could put it on your skin and you'd be like, <laughs> oh, that feels amazing. It's like getting new gloves. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, dude. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> new riding gloves. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, just to wrap this uh, wonderful conversation up, any final thoughts on the Comanches? Or just the just the history of the of forging of the United States in general when it comes to the West. I'm glad I didn't have to be there. Uh. <laughs> you know, like honestly, like that is a lot of hard work and hardship and and death and destruction and mayhem, and I am grateful for. I, for those who came before me doing the hard work, really, is what it is. On both sides. on and, 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 you know, I'm just happy that my life is easier now because of what other people have accomplished. And I'm very grateful for that. How about you? Amen. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I think... Although, I think for me, the, I think my reason is a little bit different from yours in, in why I prefer not to have been there or if I would not trade up where I am now for it. And that's just ignorance. I feel like um, to look, to have hindsight, how you say hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Mm. I guess it doesn't really apply to this, but maybe it does kind of. It, but what I'm really getting at is that it's only because I'm ignorant of what it took to live in those times that I wish not to know them. Because I, you know, I have a fear of learning. I, if I had to do it, it'd be like a nightmare, right? Of course. I'm, I'm, I'm not the rough and tumble, you know, um, person that, you know, 18th century 17 or 18th century people had to be that were forging the west i mean just just go spend a day with pe- even people today that still do like cattle farming i don't know, you've ever been to like a cattle auction or something like you know something similar to that it, it it feels so out of time and it's really kind of eye-opening to like oh my god people still live this way <laughs> and, and there's a lot of hard work and you can see you can see it on the faces of the men that go mm. to these things because they're not this isn't like a bar, you know what I mean? Like they're there to like make sure that they can get the proper um, money for the animal they're trying to sell. Because, oh, that's what I was going to say earlier was that 
the buffalo were not like all those things that you mentioned about like you know every part of the animal is a tool or is useful in some way the animal itself was a currency mm-hmm. you know what i mean they look it, yeah, it, it was diamonds yeah. it was their gold essentially and in fact gold had no value to them other than to you know that was one thing that made me laugh was like how they like uh, a lot of Indian tribes would trade in like jewels and gold, and they thought the white men were so stupid because the shit was just on the ground. <laughs> you know, they thought it, they didn't think it was like valuable because they never had a system of, they yeah. didn't have any merchant, you know, like system for or, or economy for precious stones. Well, like yeah, what are you gonna do with them? The only thing that you could possibly make out of that is a, maybe a beads and stuff like that, and even then, it's it's gonna be a lot more difficult to to make it out of a stone than it is to make it out of. You know, like bone, yeah, or wood, I, or anything else. It's just interesting that that, that was an interesting like uh, concept to me. That you know, you would you would pick up an emerald off the ground and be like, "Well, oh, I just like because it it's green." But if it's a <laughs> white guy, I'd be like, "Holy shit, it's an emerald!" You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, but um, you know what I can get with this thing? Yeah. So we'll uh, well, it was great talking with you again, Zach, and uh, see you all next week. Make sure you check us out on our social media. We're on Twitter, of course, and. Um, and you can see, you can also find us on uh, the internet at our Patreon, which is Audio Pong on YouTube. Same thing, Audio Pong podcast. Uh, we hope that you enjoy listening to this show, and we hope that sometime in the future you'll consider supporting it. Absolutely. See you next time. Peace. <laughs>